You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 69, The New Evangelicals. Well, we are continuing our deconstruction week, and this is episode two of two uh, for this week. Normally, we have a fantastic Friday Five today, but I decided that we should have another great episode and conversation about deconstruction, and today's guest is Tim Whitaker. Uh, Tim is the founder uh, and main person helping run the New Evangelicals. Uh, It's a community, it's a social media account, it's a podcast. I will let him introduce himself and what the New Evangelicals is. Uh, But Tim and I talk about how to engage with people who are in deconstruction, um, how his faith has been bolstered uh, in this project, uh, and some other things about the evangelical church. Uh, We also talk about what his concept would be of a newly reformed evangelical church uh, being held accountable for things that others have been abused by um, and some things that uh, might not be lining up with Scripture. Uh, Tim has a great community where people who don't agree on everything can still talk about things that are important, and we can learn from one another, and I think he models that very well. So, let's hop into this conversation with Tim. Tim, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today, man. Uh, So glad we could finally make this happen. Uh, We talked back when you first hopped on Instagram when this was all brand new, and it's since uh, skyrocketed into some exciting things. So, thank you, man. Uh, If you could, tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about who you are. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, my name is Tim. I'm the creator of the New Evangelicals. It's a social media um, account and um, online community um, committed to uh, sharing our stories, pushing the church forward, and centered on Jesus. Um, I started it in December of 2020. And uh, it's been quite the ride ever since. <laughs> so it's not the oldest thing on the books, but um, you know it's been around for a couple months now. And um, you know we'll see where it goes, but it's been very encouraging to have the traction that it has gotten. So it's been great. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has gotten a lot of traction. Uh, so this episode comprises the second half of our week focusing on the concept of deconstruction. Uh, mm. Earlier in the week, we talked with Kate Boyd about uh, destigmatizing the term deconstruction and what it actually mm-hmm. means. Um, but Tim, you have a story that seems to be more prevalent as others share their stories about hard relationships with the church, like Kate and like others, um, especially the evangelical church. So I think it'd be good to start off um, if you could share your story with us, however much you want or don't want to share, and kind of what led you to create the new evangelicals community. Well, that's kind of the interesting thing, Jeff, is that people have, I think some people have this misconception that, you know, I was church hurt and then started the new evangelicals, but that isn't the case at all. Um, I was in evangelical circles my whole life. I was homeschooled for nine years, you know, grew up pretty reformed slash fundamentalist, kind of like a, a John MacArthur approach. 
I uh, was always a good kid, did all the mission trips, was always interested in Jesus, um, did um, summer's missions in my local area through uh, different parachurch organizations. I played music in the church. You can see the drum set behind me. I mean, I got my start drumming professionally in the church. Um, always been fascinated with Jesus, always been a committed Christian, always did things the quote unquote right way. I mean, my my wife and I waited till we got married. I mean, we did everything the right way um, by evangelical standards. And I I've always been interested in, in in trying to follow Jesus better. I mean, that has always been my foundational core identity from as long as I can remember, uh, remember is just, I want to be a faithful Jesus person, whatever that looks like. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of my foundational upbringing. I, I had a very overall positive church experience. You know, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I've, I, I grew up in it. I, I was in it. I've been in all kinds of, of, of evangelical spaces, uh, CMA Christian missionary Alliance. I've been in the AG, been in the non-denominational space, been in the Baptist space. <laughs> I, I I've been around it. Um, and I, I loved it. Um, so, you know, starting the new evangelicals was not started out of a place of hurt or even out of anger. Um, it was started because over time, and we can fill in a lot of these blanks, but over time, I realized that the faith I was claiming to follow, this, this way of Jesus, seemed farther and farther away from this evangelical church space that I was in uh, with, with, with how they were talking politically, with how they were talking even theologically, with how they were talking regarding church structures. So so I started the New Evangelicals, honestly, because I was frustrated with, uh, with Sean Foyt, the worship leader. He was the guy who got me really started on this idea. You know, it, it, it was during COVID uh, that, that I'm sitting home, I'm watching Sean Foyt do these, you know, maskless uh, worship gatherings, could not understand for the life of me why I were making this a big deal. And I was just so frustrated. You, you know, you have to imagine, too, this is after Ahmaud Arbery. This is after George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and seeing mm-hmm. the, the, the white ch- evangelical churches overwhelmingly mute response. I mean, yes, there was a pop-up of we should talk about this stuff, but that's all in the past now, you know? Um, and, and so seeing that kind of happen and then seeing, of course, Trump, all these things kind of compounded. I said, something is just so wrong. And I said, we need like a, a, a new evangelical movement. <laughs> and that's what gave me the idea of the new evangelicals. But it, I, I was up until May of this year. And I remember, uh, I started the new evangelicals in December. So this is like several months after I was in evangelical spaces serving faithfully. So I, I my, my preference was to stay in the evangelical space and kind of show people that some spaces, some churches do do things well uh, in the evangelical space. That isn't what happened. And we can get into that, but, but, you know, the foundation of why I started this was not Oh, the church hurt me. Oh, I'm, uh, you know, I've been kicked out of the church. Now I'm going to start this online thing. Uh, quite the opposite. I started it because I thought we have to, we really have to push the church forward. And I'm a part of this church and I'm a part of the evangelical movement. That, that is my mother. And we have to push for, for, for better and for deeper theology, et cetera. So that's kind of like some of the story there of, of how I kind of got involved with this space, but it, it was not birthed out of, um, you know, I, I've been personally hurt by church. I, I've actually had, again, until recently, pretty good uh, church experiences. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. Now, as you talk through that and thinking about seeing your post and everything, 
that kind of connects. I'm starting to remember that. Um, But kind of, as you said, even recently with a lot of uptick with things that you've brought up regarding Mark Driscoll, regarding, you know, fill in the blank. There's a lot of different things to uh, bring up in the, in the news evangelical space. Um, I, I, I would love to know as a worship leader, how many times you heard someone say, daddy, God, (laughs) (laughs) like, <laughs> <laughs> I've been fortunate. I've only heard it like a handful of times. Okay. Most people in my spaces were not dropping that ab- abhorrent line. Um, but I've heard it more than once in my life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just had to think about that. I, I think I saw something about that today. I'm like, I'm going to ask him about that. Uh, so yeah, thank, thank you, man. Um, so one thing that I've personally struggle with regarding deconstruction, mm. kind of where to start engaging people well in it. So uh, I'm a youth pastor. Um, yeah. And uh, so, you know, and this next question I'm going to give, you know, as you've seen, it's, it's a huge question, but it's basically the foundation for our discussion. And there's a lot of different ways we can go. So um, as far as engaging people well, which I do think is the root of why you even started what you're doing, you want to part of how you like represent it is you want to engage people well and listen and hear and not just say, here's what you should do. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so Tim, in your experience so far, probably specifically with new evangelicals, yeah, I think people that are deconstructing and sharing about it online, they just want to vent and not hear from anyone unless they're encouraging them and cheering them on. Are they just hurt and need time before they engage or do they actually want to engage? But, maybe with certain unwritten terms and conditions as far as what that looks like, or is it a big question mark? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes to all. Yeah. Right? I think yeah. there are certain, certainly layers and every, every person's different. Every person has a different um, story. Yes. There's definitely some similarities in a lot. I, I see a lot of themes. Um, you know, I think it's important for your audience to know that for me and for, for my for I should say for our community, um, deconstruction. I realize it's, it's a very broad term. We define it as re-examining the things that you were taught were absolute truths in in Christianity. Okay, so it's like things that things that you were taught were non-negotiable. You're starting to rethink a little bit, and that could be things that maybe you thought were always negotiable, but for someone else they weren't. Like for example, um, a literal six day creation. A lot of people were taught that's a non-negotiable. If you believe mm-hmm. in evolution, you're just you know, one step away from atheism. So deconstruction could be realizing that in fact, the Bible has no context (laughs) for, for how we view a creation story. Um, that, that could be one part of it, or it could be more serious things, right? Um, it could be things about the inerrancy of scripture. Is the Bible actually inerrant? And if it's not, is that a problem? And what does inerrancy mean? Um, so, so it's a pretty big spectrum, but I would say a lot of people that I encounter, um, Again, it's hard to speak in absolutes, but in general, a lot of us are just fed up with the evangelical institution. What I tell people is that a lot of us are having a crisis of theology, not a crisis of faith. A lot of people I talk to are committed to Jesus. I mean, I'm committed to Jesus, but when I look at Matthew 25, the story of the sheep and the goats, right? And those who essentially took care of the poor and clothed the naked 
are 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 uh, you know are doing the will of the Father, and those who didn't are you know going to be judged. And then I look, I look at our evangelical culture that is so focused on stuff and haze and lighting and big events and money, you know, and the majority of our time is not spent doing that. I go, hmm, well, this is like a you know pretty clear thing of like, well, if Jesus says we should be doing this, but most of our time in my space was spent planning for my next, you know, Sunday morning event on the drums or accepting the next PCO invite, is that really matching what we're reading from Jesus? So a lot of people are just fed up with like this, this, this double standard of, you know, we're the, evangelicalism I found says we're the gatekeepers. We have the gospel. And then it turns out like, maybe they don't always have what they think is the gospel. I mean, you know, I just find it very interesting in, in, in those ways. So again, we can unpack that. I know that that's some very general statements, but people that I encounter are hurt. They're, they're frustrated. They feel like, like they've given so much time and energy and money to an institution that essentially either told them they're not good enough or judged them or, or kicked out their, their gay friend or, you know, or, or, um, is is re- in some cases reposting Candace Owens talking points about how George Floyd was was really a criminal, and they see that and they go, "Why am I doing this? Why am I giving money and time to this to these institutions that that really aren't even trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a very practical way?" So I think there's a lot there, but those are a few of the things that I think about off the top of my head. Okay, yeah, thank you, man, and yeah, there there, there is a lot, and you're right, you know, as as Kate. Right, rightly brought up in our episode earlier this week. Uh, there's like, if you ask a question about people in deconstruction, they, that umbrella is like not even flat. It's like flexing upwards, lo- like the wind's blowing it. Like there's so much under it. It's so broad um, right. that right. it's hard to say, well, here are the core tenets of all of it. And I think the way that you describe it as a crisis of theology and not faith is, is helpful. I think it's very helpful for people to hear. And once they see like what people are saying about things that they have, uh, it, 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 it makes sense. And well, and, and to be transparent, some people are leaving the faith. Like they're totally, absolutely, out, you know, absolutely. And, and frankly, given the current state of things in the evangelical church, I cannot blame them. Okay. But that's not my lane. I'm not, that's not my job. That's not what I'm concerned about. You know, my job, my, what I'm concerned about, what I aim for is how do we stay faithful to Jesus in a, in a time where in our view, in my view, the evangelical church is so far down the path of political power and really weird political ideologies. Um, and, and in some ways, really, I would think, I would say, you know, unhealthy theology. How do we reclaim the Jesus part in this? You know, how do we stay faithful to Jesus? How do we participate in the rich tradition of critiquing, uh, you know, the religious leaders of, of our day? Um, in our way, as Scott McKnight would put it. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that to me is what we're I'm after personally. You know, yeah. I have friends who are like, hey, I'm an atheist now. Hey, I'll I, let's talk. I love to engage. I'm not here to save you. I'm not here to rescue them. I'm not here to convince them with my new apologetic, you know, from some new apologist why atheism makes no sense and Christianity does. I'm I'm over that part of my journey at this moment because I've seen it so manipulated and so twisted um, that for, for right now, I'm like, you know what? My job is to love people. That's it. My job is to be a little Christ to people as best as possible. So I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of a follow-up to trying to engage with people who are, who are in that. Um, 
there was someone on, on one of your posts who I asked and they weren't even the person I asked, but they responded to it in a really deep way. I asked about accountability. Yeah. And, you know, I think even in, even in what, whatever church that, that you're a part of, and even if you're not even part of a church or you're not a believer, I feel like for a lot of people, that word is a four letter word. And mm. it's something that is like, uh, like that leaves a sour taste in my mouth because you had a bad experience or because you look at it as like limiting your freedom or limiting whatever. Do you feel like accountability in any form exists in your specific new evangelical deconstruction space? And if so, what does it look like? Do you think it's even desired? What do you think? Are you talking about like accountability from like uh, almost like an accountability partner perspective where it's like someone holding you accountable to faithfully walking with Jesus, something like that? Or are we talking about, about like holding leaders accountable? More the, more the former. Okay. More the former. Yeah. Okay. More of a personal relationship yeah. type. I see things that are unhealthy for you. I want to help you like that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, let's just be frank, right? A lot of us who grew up in these circles have all had accountability partners. I've had accountability partners. I've had great friends in my life that at the time I said, please hold me accountable to not watch porn, you know, whatever it is, it's always porn for the guys. And, and nowadays a lot of girls too. Right. So it's like, okay. Um, so here's my phone code. Here's my, my software, et cetera. Um, but what, what has also happened is a lot of us have also experienced quote unquote accountability by church leaders. And as we unpack that, we realize it was more just a method of keeping us under their thumb and keeping yeah. us um, entrenched in volunteering for quote unquote the kingdom and giving for quote unquote the kingdom. When in reality, we were just making their Sunday morning events bigger um, or giving them more money so they can spend more money on more haze machines, um, all, in the name, all in the name of accountability um, or, you know, um, whatever, whatever else it, it, it might be. So I think you have to understand that for a lot of people, for the first time, they feel like they can breathe on their own, right? For the first time, I'm 33. I am now for the first time in my life understanding that I am not inherently wicked and that I can trust myself, okay? Because I grew up in a Calvinist perspective that taught me that my heart is deceitful above all else, all else. Now, that's not saying that I'm not capable of bad. Of course I am. I know that. But learning that like maybe God made me initially good and that I can start trusting the intuition he gave me in, in, in relationship with him. That's a different dynamic than I'm bad, I'm evil, I'm wicked, not, I, nothing I do is good unless Christ does it through me. So a lot of people are for the first time experiencing this and they're like, whoa, okay, I, I, my, my, my training wheels are kind of off right now. So they're, they're, they're trying to ride the bike for the first time, okay? And it's going to be wobbly, there's going to be some wrong turns and we're going to fall over. But a lot of people, when they hear certain words like that, it triggers, right? Just like, oh my God, that means like someone in my space in the name of God, which is really just controlling me to not whatever it is, you know, to mm -hmm. not feel this or not to do this action, not, not, not to smoke the cigarette, whatever it might be. So I think though, a lot of people are looking for partnership, right? For community. They're looking for wisdom. They're looking for encouragement. They are looking for opinions, but I think we have to change the language uh, in that way because, no, I don't want an accountability partner. However, I would love to find someone, personally speaking, who's maybe a little bit ahead of me who can offer some wisdom. I would love that. I would love to have someone I can say, hey, I, I have this thing in my life right now. Like, What do you think? How, how would you handle it? And then them trusting 
that whatever decision I come to, they, they, they walk with me on that, right? That's mm-hmm. different than I think how we experience accountability growing up. So I think yes and no. No, I don't want evangelical accountability. Yes, I, we do want people who are in our life offering support, offering wisdom, walking with us, letting us fall down on the bike and helping us get back up, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And a lot of what you harped on was is exactly why I framed it as people see that word as a, as a four-letter word, as something that's triggering, as something that's scarring, as something that's been used as a baseball bat to shame them. Um, yes. Yeah, and and for know. the record, you know, I mean, we get about 200 DMs a day. And so I, I see a lot of stories, you know, I see a lot now, of course, one account is not going to tell you the general, you know, what is common, but when you combine what I'm seeing along with the data that we have, it is not unreasonable to say that a lot of people who grew up in these spaces have had things like accountability really misused to to control them Mm -hmm. and not to cultivate their own sense of, you know, humanity and uh, even to a degree autonomy, but instead has been used to keep them under leadership's thumb to keep them in, in, in the right mode of thinking that benefits the system essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of those stories um, and things that you see uh, you know, the, New Evangelicals has really taken off and you've had a lot of interaction from people from a variety of backgrounds and experiences. Um, And so this might be a weird question, but how is this uh, deconstruction project bolstered your faith if it has? And if it has, what does that look like? How has it done that? Yeah. You know, I I think that um, it has in a whole different way right? Like I don't have more answers. I probably have more questions. Um, I'm in some ways more unsure of things um, that I thought I would never be, never be unsure of, but in other ways, I'm more confident in things. And I think the bolstering has been that, that surely this is where Jesus tends to be, you know, like with the people who are really hurting, the people who have really gotten the wrong end of the stick, the people who have gotten the bad rep, people who have made major mistakes and are just so broken by it. Um, surely there's something that there's work that needs to be done, you know, um, and that this is like part of that mandate. Now, I, I say that carefully because especially in our time, I think more than ever, everyone can kind of weaponize Jesus, you know, oh, Jesus yeah. was a warrior. He wasn't this, you know, we don't need meek and mild Jesus. We need a, you know, a warrior Jesus, you know, that kind of thing. So surely I understand that, that anyone can kind of twist anything to be in their own image. Okay. But when I do read just the Sermon on the Mount, when I just see the life of Jesus, when we see the letters, to, you know, the letters uh, that Paul writes to to the church, there is a consistent theme of just the underside, like the underbelly, of, of the empire and how that's where the church was birthed out of. That's where Jesus tended to be. Um, people who were not um, always famous and, and powerful. Certainly he was with them as well, but it was always a, a speaking truth to power. So my faith is really bolstered in that way of like, I, I, I am truly convinced more and more that, that God does take sides with the oppressed and marginalized consistently throughout history, throughout the Bible, throughout, you know, modern history, et cetera. And okay, how do I do my best to align myself with that side? How do I do my best to understand that empire is not a God-given thing, you know, um, that, 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 and, that, and that God's kingdom is not an empire in the way that we might be t- 
that we might've been taught that it was. So yes, in, in some ways, my faith is certainly bolstered. In other ways, I have a lot of questions. You know, I mean, I'm still wrestling through a lot of things I, I, were, I was taught and I have questions about, about the Bible and, you know, it, it is what it is though. But I think the mystery is, is where the, the divine is often. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm learning that maybe, maybe for the first time in my life. Yeah. I love that, man. And I actually don't see the asking questions and having your faith bolstered as two separate things. You know, I, I tell my students all the time that I left seminary with 10,000 more questions than I had going into it. And um, it's in the dependence, it's in the asking questions and learning to ask better questions that your strength, your strength, that your faith grows because your dependence grows. And um, that's how you really learn to to walk, not with knowledge and I know the right answer, but really what faith is and assurance of things not seen and the hope that we have in Christ and why we realize we do need Christ for all these things. And I love how you how you framed that last part of the mystery is where the divine is. You know, you see that with Paul talking about the idea of marriage and men and women relating to one another. He's like, I'm speaking of Christ in the church and it's a mystery. And um yeah. you know the abstract ethereal um existence of the spirit and moving with the spirit and what does that look like and yeah um you know there's a lot there that's like man when 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 it comes to not just like christian faith or about god but really anything in existence faith is always like present somewhere because we don't always know everything all the time even though people who are online would tell you otherwise um right well and that's kind of my that's kind of maybe like why this is such a big deal for us, because again, a lot of us grew up in an environment that said, no, here are the answers. Here mm-hmm. are the absolutes, right? Here is what you need to know to not burn in hell forever because hell's a real place. And you're going to be on fire one day if you don't pray this prayer and, 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 you know, make sure that, that you confess your sins to Jesus. And so for us to kind of unlearn some of this stuff and also to realize that like in the case of hell, there's actually several various perspectives inside the Christian tradition on hell, uh, you know, and, and that, and that there are some pretty safe, but deep and complex waters here. I think for a lot of us, initially the idea of deconstruction of, of realizing that, okay, the world's bigger than this evangelical slice of the pie. It's very anxiety inducing because again, when you're a kid from you know zero to now, right. You're and you're told, no, here's the truth. Here's the answer. The world has it wrong. We have to be counterculture. You, but you realize more and more like how much of that was really a very specific flavor of, of a more modern fundamentalist take on Christian thought than even Christian historical tradition would, would, would have you think. Certainly, there are some you know consistent themes, resurrection of Christ. Of course, I understand all that. But when it comes to these other issues that we're told, you know, um, are, are are for certain, especially the hell one and other issues too, it turns out like nah, it's not that black and white. You know, it's just not, and that's okay. But a lot of us found um, essentially that yes, we were encouraged to ask questions as long as we we came to the right answers. And I think once we started coming to answers that the evangelical establishment, whatever you want to say, didn't like those answers, then we were deemed problematic. You know, once we started talking about the term social justice, oh no, that's liberal. Once we started talking about racism, oh no, that's CRT, right? Maybe hell's not forever. Oh, then why even be a Christian? All of a sudden now these, these, these thoughts are dangerous, even though you can find 
theologians, you know, throughout history who advocated for things like that. I mean, I mean, the Wesleyan tradition in the, you know, early 19th century was an abolitionist tradition. They were part of the Underground Railroad fighting for for racial justice, you know, in the name of God. So certainly this is not like crazy left wing anything. It's actually found in, in our own Christian tradition. But until you start realizing that you you're just taught from the beginning that anything that essentially is quote unquote liberal is automatically bad. And any in mo- most things, 99.9% of the things that are quote unquote politically conservative are good. That's how we can have Christians who claim to follow the way of a nonviolent Jesus advocate for owning more guns as being a good Christian you know, thing to do because we're more in line with our political ideology than we are with, with, with the crucified Jesus. So th- there's a lot there, but you know, those are some of my thoughts on that. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I I agree. I was just uh I was fortunate to be on uh asked to be on a podcast called Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. And uh and <laughs> Good I, luck, I loved right? it. Yeah, it, it, it was fun. Well, I mean, Corey's a guy who's had like White House administrators and four-star generals and ethics professors on. I'm like, you want me on? I'm not gonna add anything. Wow, seriously. Uh, but it was a lot of fun to talk about that kind of stuff and mainly gen z and 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 gen alpha stuff but yeah Yeah. you're right you know and i'm my uh, undergrad was in political science and so Mm. you know Mm. i i can use it the only way i use it today is looking at a lot of polling information and i'm like people don't know how to read those things you know and (laughs) that's about it that's about it um and so you know, I, I often joked with people over the course of my life that it took me getting a degree in, in politics to finally become apathetic toward it. And mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, yeah. I've had I've also had in the last year or so really good conversations with people who are in the political sphere who are like, you know what, this is the practical working out of helping people flourish. And so we should be in the political sphere, but it needs to look a lot different than kind of what you said, like completely aligning a worldly political ideology with christian root fundamental things that are really important in our theology and not being able to separate them and weaponizing them like that is something that certainly is problematic whichever way you would want to swing that pendulum it it is dangerous and that's certainly not what we should be doing with our well, and, and certainly I, I advocate for being involved politically. I think that's good. I mean, I do, I, you know, seek the good of the city, right? We want to, we want to seek human flourishing. We absolutely do. Um, but again, I, I, I just, it just baffles my mind to see the evangelical movement and where it's aligned on its political stances, because I just don't understand where they get them biblically or even, you know, orthodoxally, if that's even a word, yeah. you know, speaking, I mean, I, 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 a layup would be climate change. That's a layup. Okay. I just actually interviewed um, Catherine Hayhoe. She just wrote a book on this. She's like a leading climate scientist expert. She's in like, you know, all the big meetings with all the, all the big wigs. And, you know, she's like, listen, the, the, like 95% of the scientific community agrees. And here's why we, here's why we know all this. And to see Christians, I follow theologians who at, who today to this day advocate for climate change being a man, uh, just, just some myth that isn't real despite all the data and also the reality that we are called to take care of God's good planet. And instead we're destroying it with all kinds of things, you know, we're deforesting it in the name of uh, name of corporatism and all this stuff to see so many Christians actively fight those things. It doesn't make any sense. 
You know, I mean, it's like if you had a Ferrari and you let me borrow your Ferrari and I trashed it and gave it back to you, you wouldn't call me a good steward of that. (laughs) But yeah, we think it's totally cool just to like, or, or we think that somehow the, the industrialization of the past 200 years hasn't had a significant impact on our ecosystem that's been given to us by God. So again, it's just very bizarre for me to, and I grew up in a talk radio household. Okay. Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin. I can name them all. I have listened to them all. I still listen to them today to hear what's going on. And they, they, they push this stuff like crazy. So again, it's for me, it's not so much of like, oh, Christians are political. No, I'm all about that. We should be seeking the good of our city, but how they're political, it, it consistently baffles me. And honestly, it's one of the largest ingredients that go into the cake of a deconstructing Christian. Because, you know, once we saw everything with Trump and, and how that only snowballed in the January 6th insurrection and the Jesus banners and how downplayed it was, it just continues to further our point that like something is wrong. What I tell people is that in my view, now this is just my view, okay? So I'm not holding you to it. I'm, your audience might, might disagree with me, but white evangelicalism in particular, uh, what we can say in general, American evangelicalism is really more of a right-wing political movement than it is a healthy Jesus-centered theology. And look at how they vote. Look, look, look at, at the at the issues that they advocate for. You know, if you don't have white evangelicalism, you don't have QAnon. You don't have the election fraud being as widespread as it is. Those things are driven by that crowd. They, they, we have the data on that. I mean, you, you're a political scientist guy. I'm sure you've seen the Baylor study, the Pew study, the Barner Group study. They're all out there. So, you know, that's what I think gets a lot of us so uh, to a point of frustration and also just so baffled. We go, wait, wait, wait. You're telling us that Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love our neighbor and to love God, right? And we have the Sermon on the Mount. We have all these, these teachings of Jesus that are beautiful. And you tell me as a committed Jesus follower to go storm the Capitol in the name of God because an election was stolen when we know it wasn't. And that's, that's your idea of loving your neighbor. I'm sorry, what is happening here? You know? So I think, I think that's, that's for a lot of us where this gets very frustrating. Yeah, no, man. Yeah. I I like hearing you talk about that. And um, yeah, it's, it's those dots that um, yeah, it's, it's really kind of, kind of baffling. Um, so man, yeah, I could talk about a lot of things, but I certainly wanted to get to this question for sure. So yeah, I have to set up as my final question. It might not be my final question, but so you mentioned, uh, from the beginning really. And you, I like how in your stories, you remind people like what the point of this community is and what's happening. Right. Um, you mentioned that, you know, along with wanting to create spaces and communities, maybe it's via Zoom, maybe it's traveling like you recently did and you got to meet with people for conversation and understanding that you want to help reform, as it were, the evangelical church. So for you, Tim, what would you say, what would a healthy, newly reformed evangelical church look like to you? In other words, what big milestones would you share and celebrate with the new evangelical community as, look, they finally realized their misstep, their mistake, their misinterpretation. What would be on that list for you? Yeah. I mean, listen, let's be honest. That's a great question. And this for, at least in my view, this is pretty early on and like not, and when I say early on, I don't mean just new evangelicals. I mean, this idea in general. Okay. We're not that important. We're just one piece of, 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 of the pie here. Um, There have been a lot of people who have 
rethought church for our context, right? You have the missional movement, you have the emergent church movement, you have the uh, house church movement, et cetera. And I think they're all great. One thing we have to realize is that the evangelical expression of church is simply a model of church. That's all it is. Models come and models go. All right. The way that 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 Martin Luther met in in his context, his model looks very different than even now how Lutherans meet. Okay. So models are going to ebb and flow. They're going to change. They're allowed to change. That's also why I tell people that when we critique the institution, we don't, we're not saying that the church is bad. The church is the hope of the world. But what we are saying is that is that the system that's mapped onto the church needs to be reformed and rethought and reimagined. Okay. So that's important to realize off the bat that, 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 that what we're, what we're talking about here is not the church itself. We're talking about how does the church organize? How does it gather? How does it, what does it emphasize, et cetera. All right. So with that all being said, this is just me kind of talking over things I thought about over the past few months and well, longer than that. But for me, there's a couple elements. First off, right now in our evangelical spaces, most churches center their time around an event. Okay. Your, your, your time is organized around the Sunday morning gathering. If you're a large church that can include a production team that can include a worship team, full lighting. And I, I come from that world. I, as a drummer, it's, it's great to play in those spaces. I mean, it's a dream come true, right? But there are a lot of work. So I, I, my life was oriented around the Sunday, Sunday morning event. We put on this hour and hour long event, two or two or three times a morning, et cetera. We have to shift that from um, a focus on event to being centered on a community, okay? Because the reality is, no matter how much we say we're a family or we're a community on Sunday morning, there is very little time for people to give and receive. All people can do is spectate. They come, they receive some stuff, maybe a word, they go home, check it off their list. That's not a community, okay? So I think we have to change our focus from being event-driven to community-driven, meaning where are the um, what do small pockets of the church meeting in neighborhoods, maybe in houses, look like consistently on a Sunday morning? And then how does that overflow to people loving their neighbor in tangible ways? I mean, tangible ways that includes loving each other well. Now, the problem with this is that it doesn't it, 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 it requires something, right? Our American context is very individualistic. We all have our own schedules and we kind of we kind of organize them in hierarchies of okay, this is my family, so that takes priority. Then, well, what do I want to do? And then okay, like, like where's my time in that, right? And the problem is people will find out very quickly that when you have a little community of people who are centered on Jesus in our meeting, you're going to have some friction because people are going to be annoying. You're going to have that one person in your group who you just don't want to see that on, on that Sunday morning or that Thursday night, or you don't want to invite over because they, they talk too much or not enough, right? So we have to be able to make space for, for the realization that this takes work, okay? You don't just drop into a community in the first time and all of a sudden it's all roses. I, th I think sometimes we kind of romanticize community, you know, that, that, that was a big church buzzword for a lot of years. It still kind of is, but for a while it was big, you know, but we really romanticized it. And once someone annoyed us or once someone said the wrong thing, now I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about that. Okay. Right, that, right. That's all different animal. But once someone just rubbed you the wrong way, oh, they made this comment. I'm out. So we don't really know how to like stick with people and make something work for the sake of Jesus and loving our neighbor well. So I think that's what a, uh, a church community should look like. I would love to see food 
always involved. I think, I think there's something powerful about eating a meal together. Amen. I would, I would love to see these spaces celebrate Eucharist every Sunday. I mean, that, that, that's a biblical mandate that evangelicals just right over the head, you know? So there's those kinds of things, but I certainly think consistently, I, I guess we could say weekly gathering with a meal, spending time with each other, making space for each other, making time to be real friends, not this church friend zone nonsense. I'm talking about like, Hey, I'm going to target. You want to go with me? Just, just, just to go. Right. Again, it's easy to say that it's harder, harder to do it. And it takes people who are willing to put in that work and to make space and to humble themselves and to lay down their priorities for the sake of the other starts sounding familiar all of a sudden, doesn't it? (laughs) You know, but I, I think that's for me, what, 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 what this, could look like one day. I'm not saying for new evangelicals, I don't really have a desire to become like another church thing, you know, and I, honestly, full transparency, I think that that church planting in America is overrated. We have plenty of churches. There are, I mean, in my small town of like 5,000 people, there's like four churches, you know, like in, in like in like a one square mile radius, there's four churches and then a, a mile down the road is another five. So I'm just saying like, like there are churches everywhere, but I do think we need people who are willing to put in the work to actually be together as a community, loving each other well. So that's kind of where I really tend to land these days. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a really good center for healthy ecclesiology. Uh, you know, and uh, I will take this spot to shamelessly brag on, on, on our church. And so I was raised ahead, in a large man. Southern Baptist church. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, so uh, when I was on with uh, that talking politics and and religion uh, podcast, he asked me why I'm calling myself Youth Ministry Maverick. And so I'm in Dallas. And so the Mavericks have something to do with that. Uh, I'm always going to be a Suns fan first. Sorry, everybody. But, um, you know, it's uh, so part of that. But also, when you think of the term Maverick, you think of like unco- unconventional outside the box. Yeah. And when I was growing up, down the street from my church lived John McCain. And he went to our church and he still went there during the presidential campaign. And so mm. it was a circus mm. to try and get there. I mean, they'd block off a whole side, his own entrance in and out. No one else could do it. It was secret service. All wow. the cameras were all inside of our sanctuary, listening on what my pastor would say with every word. You know, uh, yeah. my yeah. pastor gave the closing prayer after McCain's speech at the national convention. Uh, and so like people are like watching and looking at that and, you know, there's, there's no politician that everyone should always agree with everything that they say, hopefully. Sure, but sure. a lot of the elements of across the aisle, a lot of that kind of stuff, um, things about John McCain, I really appreciated. And a mm-hmm. lot of people in Arizona did. And so that's a whole reason well, that's, that's one of the main reasons from that view why I kind of named uh, my podcast for what I did. But as far as approaching things in a healthy way, you know, as far as our church here. So I was always from big churches, worked in big churches, came mm-hmm. here. We're less than 200 people. Plymouth Brethren Roots. Oh, <laughs> I know so Plymouth Brethren. really <laughs> congregational. Oh, and yes. You know, the, the main remnants of, of that is uh, once a quarter instead of Bible study and connection hour after church, we have our family meeting. And it's a time yeah, for yeah. us like to hear from the leadership and to have back and forth, have updates and community and all that. But um, so what we basically function as a non-denominational Bible church now. So we're very historically rooted. Our entire service is like the historical traditional call of worship, the the message, the Eucharist every week is the is the climax pinnacle of the service. And, and then the uh, 
benediction in the call to worship. We have some good liturgy. We reference from the common book of prayer, mm-hmm. from other books of yeah. prayer, corporately confess together, have assurance through our hope in Christ, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and it, it really, and the benefit of being part of a small church, which I really didn't understand until coming here is that you can't be anonymous and that's a good thing Yeah, and that you can really engage yeah. and really know who, who who's around and uh yeah, you know if if uh if, if people look for i feel like the consumeristic culture of especially evangelicalism if it couldn't get farther up already i feel like covid made it go straight up because everyone was forced to go online yeah and so now people really do just instead of having to drive down the street and check out different churches they can just go click 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 yeah. and be a part of that and you know, as far as welcoming people in person, if you can't connect in person, then I'm so glad that we have Zoom and this technology to do it. But right, um, you know, it's that that all everything you mentioned about uh, healthy church culture and what that looks like, and sharing a meal. You know, in in some ways, our uh, pastor who was here uh, about a, a little over a year ago, he moved to a different church up north. That he would talk about how every time you have a meal at all. Or even like when you're in the pool with water, in some way you should be reminded of the Eucharist and baptism mm. because of like when you take those things together and what they mean in the context of a local, you know, I know that we are the body of Christ, but a local gathering, a local church, a local community, you know, like sure. it's, it, it's, it's affirming to be in that and you confirm that in there and you celebrate with each other and you're reminded of these elements and how they're present and how God, you, how God used them through Christ to point us to something bigger and greater. Um, and yeah, so when you're talking about those basic tenets of not being a number, being known, doing common things together, not just a handshake or a hand wave during COVID right. and greeting time and then never seeing them the whole week or talking to them. Right. Yeah, you're right. That authenticity, which by the way, Gen Z, according to studies, values so much more than any other generation like they want to actually know that you walk what you talk and they want to see that and so i'm with you that's really what churches should be looking like that's right no i feel it all the way you know i I, we'll see what happens to the evangelical movement because uh right now i don't think a lot not again we're speaking in broad terms but you know a lot of these more especially more public ones are are certainly not walking the walk that they claim to talk about and i think a lot of people millennials gen z even older you know gen x etc they're sniffing that out and they're like, nope, something is whatever you're peddling here. Like, I, it just stinks. Yeah. And, you know, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, it's very interesting times for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Tim, this has been great, man. Uh, I'm glad we finally got to make this happen. And uh, I would love for people to be able to come check you guys out and see what New Evangelicals is all about. Listen to people's stories. Um, tell us where people can connect with you and the, the New Evangelicals online. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at the New Evangelicals. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at New Evangelicals. Uh, we have a podcast as well, so we're certainly out there. You can also go to the New Evangelicals.com and sign up for free to check out our map and see who's in your area, which is always cool. So yeah, there's quite a few different ways to interact, but uh, Instagram is probably the most direct way. That, that um, Most of my day is spent in the DMs, to be honest. <laughs> so Yeah, very cool, man. All right. Well, uh, Tim, my uh, prayer for you will be that you keep 
seeking Christ and keep championing that to everybody. And I love that. And that God uses you well to help bring a gospel mindset to everyone that you engage with and to nicely tell them that they shouldn't say daddy God, cause it's weird. Um, <laughs> I received that blessing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks Thank you, for Tim. Your time, man. Yeah. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Tim for the great conversation. You can find the links to the new evangelicals in the show notes and the YouTube video description. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel yet, please go check that out and subscribe there as well. We have all of our episodes on YouTube starting this season. Also, every Friday, only on YouTube, we have a special five-minute segment called The Fantastic Friday Five. So go and check that out this Friday. On our website, youthministrymaverick.com, you can find all of our episodes, a complete list of our guests and their bios, a list of organizations to help you in your own ministry, some articles I've published, a store to support the podcast, and more. So go check that out. You can also find all of our social media handles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We appreciate ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts so we can be more seen. And if you leave us a review, not just a rating, but a review, take a screenshot of it and send it to me, and I will send you a personal thank you card with some merchandise you can't buy on the website. That's all for now. Hope to see you on YouTube this Friday. But until next time, thanks for listening. Adios.